I had the wonderful opportunity to visit the Air Force Academy with Janine Sajan. And when she introduces herself to the cadets and they hear her last name, you can just see the look on their faces like they know his name the minute they arrive on that campus. And I'm sure they're trying to make the connection. Could this be, does he have a daughter? Could it be a wife? Who is this person? They're not sure about the ages and how old would she be? And then when she says, I'm his little sister, they just practically fall to their knees. Um, he's such a hero. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational episode of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone, where we have real live veterans sharing real live experiences uh, of their time in the military. Today, we are going to stay here in southeastern Wisconsin and welcome this week's special veteran guest, Jennifer Pankowski. Jennifer Pankowski grew up on the south side of Milwaukee and graduated from Milwaukee Tech and later on the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She proudly served in the Wisconsin National Guard from 1992 to 1998 and was named Soldier of the Year for her battalion in 1994. The daughter of a Marine Vietnam veteran, she also has several other family members who served in the military and three wonderful children who just flew the coop and left her and her husband with an empty nest. Jennifer has found her passion in serving veterans. She volunteers for the Milwaukee War Memorial Center. She volunteers for the Stars and Stripes Honor Flight. She volunteers for Team Saijon, which is a fascinating story that most people don't know about, and as a memorial interpreter for uh, at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C. Jennifer looks back at her time in the military fondly, and the lessons she learned have served her well throughout her life. So let's bring in Jennifer, and thank you, and welcome, and let's get started. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, happy to do it. Tell us about Jennifer. Where are you from? You said South Milwaukee. You grew up family? Yeah, I grew up on the south side of Milwaukee, actually, in Bayview. Uh, I was the second child. Uh, my parents have four kids. I have an older brother, a little sister, and a little brother. Grew up on the south side, went to Milwaukee Tech, and went on to Madison. Yes, I got into the School of Education uh, to become a teacher. Good for you. So now, we have had a couple of conversations before we sat down today. Did you become a teacher or do your teaching before the military service or after the military service? That's a good question. I was uh, three years into my college degree when I decided to join the military. 
And what was the decision that made you want to join the military? Uh, there were a couple things leading up to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I always knew I was going to join the military. I didn't know what that was going to look like or when I was going to do it, but uh, it was always floating in the back of my head. As you said, my dad's a Vietnam vet. He was a Marine, and I grew up very aware of that um, that service of his. And so it was always floating in the back of my head that I would serve in some capacity. And uh, about three years into my degree, I was paying for school myself, taking out college loans, working in the summer, and I was running pretty short on money. And then also at that time, as you know, um, the war was going on in Saudi Arabia, and some of my friends had been deployed overseas. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, decided to join the military. And so it all just sort of clicked at the same time that the timing just seemed right, that this was the time to do it if I was going to do it. So I actually did a little research, talked to a few recruiters to see what the best deal I could get for a job that I wanted to do and uh, help me with my college funds. Wow, that's exciting. Let me ask you this. Was your family all behind you enlisting in the military? Your mom, your dad, uh, brothers, sisters? Uh, I didn't tell them until after <laughs> I had already signed, um, but they were all pretty excited. Yeah, yeah my dad kind of threw down a challenge, maybe not in these words, but it was kind of, you know let's see if you can make it through basic yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I tell everybody after living with the Marine for 18 years, basic was a breeze. <laughs> really? But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, going back to that, I think when we all enlist or drafted, however we enter the military, the very first thing that we probably crosses our nine, can I make it through basic training and advanced individual training? I, that, I mean, if you make it through there, and as we spoke about before, and then you take that oath of service, once you take that oath of service, you're, you're a soldier. You're in, right? Um, so, so true. Well, so, you see all the movies, and you wonder how much that's going to be in real life, oh, right? Oh, sure. You, you see the yelling, screaming drill sergeant. And, so, but and I've been it. hearing the stories at home as well. My dad told me stories growing up, so oh, wow. I really wasn't sure what to expect. And mothers of our soldiers and veterans have a much different experience. While those of us in the military always uh, know where we are and whether we're in a safe place or not, our mothers experience our military service in a completely different way. I mean, it's always in their imagination, wondering where we are and if we are safe. Your mom was the backbone of a military family. Was she uh, supportive of your decision to join the military? Yes, she was. She was very supportive. I think she was uh, quite happy when she heard that I had joined. She'd been, you know, she'd lived through my dad's uh, service and time, shipped over to Vietnam, waiting for him as a young uh, girlfriend and then fiance and had you know lived through that and supported him and so she knew the role and she knew about waiting and hoping and wondering uh, she wrote me letters she sent cookies from uh, me and the other girls to share I always told her to send enough for everybody because they made us share and uh, yeah she was very supportive of me and 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 really really happy to see me come home and lay eyes on me again. <laughs> oh, I think she laid more than eyes on you. <laughs> well, one, one other thing that we had in a conversation earlier, she's really been supportive of you in, in a, all the way through your life. I mean, in, in your teaching and all the other things you did as well. Huh? Definitely. Yeah. She's, she's a cheerleader for all of us. Wow. What a great story. Thank you. Yeah. So, so you, you enlisted uh, in the army. Yes. And went through basic training and how did that go in your advanced training? Uh, it was terrific. I, I was 21 years old by then, so I was a lot older than a lot of the other women in my unit. A lot of them were 17 and 18, fresh out of high school. Uh, they called me grandma, which <laughs> they thought was pretty funny. At 21, I was I was definitely on the older side. Yeah. Um, I really got a lot out of it. I enjoyed it. I loved the physical activity. I loved the learning. I loved the camaraderie and the teamwork. 
it just it just seemed to suit me and fit me really well. So after your training, now you've got a year left of college to go to finish your degree. Yes. How did that? How did you transition back into that? Uh, well, I, I took a semester off so I could finish my advanced individual training, and then when I got back, I joined a unit in Madison. They had just gotten back from Saudi Arabia, and uh, so had all had combat experience. I was in a transportation detachment that was attached to the headquarters battalion in Madison. And I drilled with them one week in a month, two weeks a year while I finished up my degree. So and that was your MOS on transportation? Well, my MOS was uh, administration. I was an administrative specialist, but the unit they put me in was uh, the 1122nd Transportation Detachment. And I was the only female in that unit. Wow. So on your summer camps, did the, the all these guys let you play cards with them? And all that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they accepted me really, really well. I never had a problem. Uh, they were kind enough to hang a blanket in the tent so that I had my own ladies room to sleep. in. <laughs> wow, no kidding. But, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And my own, my place, you know, space to change and all that. But I really never felt treated any differently. I felt like I was one of the guys for sure. Uh, they expected the same thing out of me as out of each other. And uh, I really just didn't have any problems in that area. So you were satisfied with your service. I mean, you enjoyed it. You respected it. And, and it Absolutely. Was, yeah. So your expectations going into the military were pretty much upheld as you entered. Definitely. You served. So now, yeah. you, so you've come back home now. You're part of the National Guard and you've got your two weekends a month, is it? Uh, one weekend a month. One weekend a month. Two weeks a year. a year. And now yep. you go back to finish your degree and you want to become a teacher. You want to add teaching to this. Tell us about that. So um, it took a while for me to decide what I wanted to major in. So I ended up taking a little bit longer to graduate than some people, but I don't regret a minute of that either. I had a lot of fun in college and uh, finished my degree up. And um, I, when I was sitting in my school of education classes, I remember looking around and seeing that everyone there looked a lot like me. And I wondered how we were going to relate to people that we were going to be teaching, you know, that might not look a lot like us or have as much in common with us. So I went and talked to my advisor and we worked out a minor that was a cultural studies minor with an emphasis on Afro-American studies. And so I took classes related to that. And when I graduated, it was a real easy fit for me. There's a school in Milwaukee called uh, the Afro-American Immersion School, where kids can learn about African and African-American history and culture. And so uh, they hired me and I started that job right after I graduated. Wow, that, that's really fascinating. We had also talked about this in several conversations before. And the important thing there, and we see that many times in life, is not going there and teaching what you know, but actually sharing with them what they need to know, understanding what, what it is that they need to know or understand or would enjoy teaching. And so you prepared yourself for that. Yeah, and giving people a lot of pride in who they are, right? I mean, it's, it's good for us to see people being successful that we can relate to and that look like us. Right, right. And know their own history and know their own participation in the country. Yeah. I, I think that's wonderful. So now you go on to serve and complete your service in the military. And when you are complete now, you come home and you continue teaching for how long? How long does that profession go on? Uh, let's see. About. I got out of the military. What's that? About. Yep, I got out of the military in 98 and I taught until uh, my first son was born in 2001. Wow. So you had a good career there. So now let's go back. You 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 are also a mother. You have the three yes, children. Yes, I am. Three children, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three children who had now left the nest, and you have become an empty nester. So now yes. you, you've raised your children. They, they've they all successfully grown up, gone through school, gone through all that progress, and now the last has just moved out. 
so now how does that leave you and where does it, this fit in these different groups that you volunteered for? The honor well, flight. when I first started getting um, a little more independent, maybe about 10 years ago, I did start getting involved with volunteering. I started volunteering with the honor flight about 10 years ago. Um, and that was on Saturday mornings on flight days. And then here and there I would, I would help out in other ways. But as they got older and more independent driver's licenses and busier, I found myself with more time. And I had always worked part-time, but not, you know, never a full-time job after they were born. So I was spending more and more time with the honor flight. And then I felt like I needed something more. And so I told myself I was going to either volunteer at the War Memorial Center or at the Fisher House. And so I went online and I uh, found an opportunity at the War Memorial Center and met some incredible people there. And so I started volunteering there as well. Through there, I met Janine Sijon, who I actually had met earlier in my life. My parents were friends with the Sijons and started helping her out and working with her. And then most recently, after my kids have all graduated and left, I met somebody who asked me to volunteer at uh, one of the traveling walls that came to Waukesha, Wisconsin last spring. And after that four hour shift, which was just an incredible, incredible experience, I was driving home and thinking, I wonder if you can do that at the real wall. And so I went home and clicked around on the internet and filled out an application, had a Zoom interview, did some training, and started flying out to D.C., volunteer at the wall. Let's go back just a little bit, Jennifer. You mentioned that you volunteered at the War Memorial. What is the War Memorial in Milwaukee, just in general? So over at the lakefront, a lot of people know it as the building next to the art museum (laughs) because the Kyle Trav is such an icon there. And it's just a beautiful building, interesting building with lots of history. and holds lots and lots of events and supports veterans in a lot of way. Their motto is honor the dead by serving the living. And they live up to that every single day. Um, My dad was very involved when he was active in chapter one, Wisconsin Vietnam vets building that memorial there with the three pillars that is recognizable as well. And so I spent a lot of time there as a teenager and young adult, they used to have their dinner dances there. And my friends and I would work the dinner dances and bus tables and, and help out that way. So I spent a lot of time there in my younger years, and I just hadn't been back in a long time. One of the things that fascinates me, Jennifer, that I didn't know about, and that was actually built on the shore of Lake Michigan. And from the shore, it is supposed to appear as a German bunker when the American forces landed on D-Day, I believe, on the beaches of France, which I didn't know. And that's what they would have seen would have been that building that is now the War Memorial Center. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Very cool. And it is very cool because it, if you look at it, it's a very unusual shape to it. Uh, just the square looks like a bunker. But it's a fascinating place, and, and I'm very proud of all the people there and very honored by what they are doing because they are using it now just for many different educational level a- activities uh, and getting veterans involved that are honored to come down. They, I guess they've always done that, but I've only known it more recently. Uh, and it's it's just a lot of fun to go down there and a lot a lot of honorable activities, educational activities for veterans. The, the other thing that you mentioned, Jennifer, was the Cy John Foundation. Tell us about the Cy John, because th- this is a great, great uh, Milwaukee story, too. Yeah, so Lance grew up in the same neighborhood I did. Uh, he went to Bayview High School. He was a Air Force pilot, Air Force Academy grad, and his plane went down in the jungles of Vietnam, and he's got an incredible, incredible story, uh, crawling along on the jungle floor, for many, many days, uh, captured by the Vietnamese, taken to a prisoner camp. The men that served with him came home telling his story of 
escape and evasion and, and protest and just not, not giving in. And he was later uh, awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously. And uh, he grew up, like I said, in Bayview and so did my parents and I. And so my parents became very connected with his parents through some of the Vietnam vet functions that my parents would go to. And so we got to know them pretty well before his parents died. And um, Janine, his little sister, keeps his legacy alive. She created a film about his life and she goes to Air Force um, bases and films, screens the film. And I was going along and helping her for quite a while before COVID hit and kind of shut that down. But I still help her out um, every chance I get. If she has anything going on, I help her with setup or, or uh, anything like that. We are speaking with Jennifer Pankowski, an Army veteran who is very much involved in the volunteer world for veterans on different levels. Uh, Jennifer, going back to the Cy John Foundation just for a minute, didn't they name a building at the Air Force Academy in, in Colorado after Lance? They sure I mean, did. There are two dorms at the Air Force Academy, and one of them is the Cy John building, the yeah. Cy John dorm. I mean, it, it's such yeah. an incredible story and I, I'm a combat veteran of the Vietnam War and I'm so impressed by this story about what this man did on such a highly courageous level. And I believe he was shot down over North Vietnam and I believe he was in the Hanoi Hilton. I'm not sure of that. He but, was, yeah. yes. I, I had the wonderful opportunity to visit the Air Force Academy with Janine Saijan and when she introduces herself to the cadets and they hear her last name, you can just see the look on their faces like they know his name the minute they arrive on that campus and I'm sure they're trying to make the connection. Could this be, does he have a daughter? Could it be a wife? Who is this person? They're not sure about the ages and how old would she be? And then when she says, I'm his little sister, they just practically fall to their knees. Um, he's such a hero in that community. It gives me chills to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful thing to witness firsthand. I was very, very blessed to be able to go along with her oh, there. I'll, I'll bet you were. The other thing you mentioned, and I'm just clearing this up a little bit, then you say you, you worked with First Traveling Wall. That, that is the traveling Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall, Washington, D.C., that, that really has been traveling for a long time. Uh, that's, that's a great all- question. There are actually several. There's one that's called the Wall That Heals that's owned by the Vietnam Vets Memorial Fund, and that's an exact replica three-quarter size wall. There's only one of its kind. There are several privately owned half-size walls or so, and that was one of the ones I was working, helping out in Waukesha. I didn't know that. Oh, I, I yeah. didn't know there were different replicas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what an experience that is. Uh, I attended the one when it was in oh, Germantown a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. boy, the turnout for that and how impressive that is and how many veterans uh, were introduced to the wall there uh, because they were apprehensive about going to the wall in Washington, D.C., and what it's a, such a healing place for so many people, and not everybody can make it out to D.C., yeah. and those traveling walls are a great way to get that same experience without having to make the, make the trip. Yeah, one of the things that impressed me about the wall when it was in Germantown, and I, I, I actually spoke at that event with a number of other veterans, it was open 24 hours a day, and I, I, was, I was not surprised, but I thought it was very, very cool how many veterans came in the middle of the night you know, to be at that wall without the crowds there and just spend a little bit more, like almost intimate time at that wall. It was really, really, really impressive. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Uh, the, the actual wall in D.C. and the traveling walls that some of the vets like to come at night when there's not a lot of people there. Right. So They now, don't know how they're going to react, right? And they, they want to have that time to themselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, well, I've been to the wall in Washington, D.C., <laughs> thanks to the honor flight, uh, because I had been there several times before and couldn't get... Closer than 40 feet. I wasn't going up to see that. 
So it took the honor flight to get me up there, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But so, so now you have also been a volunteer, and I like this, uh, the way that this was phrased. You said that you were an interpreter at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., an interpreter. Uh, tell us about that. So in our training to become a wall volunteer, uh, they, they use that phrase and they say we're there to interpret the memorial for visitors. Because if you just walk up to it and you look at it, it might not be that easy to understand what it's about. And so we're there to answer questions um, and basically interpret the memorial for them and explain how it's set up, why it's there, whose names are on it, that sort of thing. One of the things that impressed me, and again, I learned so much just by going on the honor flight that I did not know about the wall. And the one that still makes me gasp, uh, when I went to Vietnam, I was 19 years, or I was 20 years old when I went there. When I heard that the largest number of, the largest number of names on the wall by age is 18, and the second largest number is 19, you just want to cry. You, you just, yeah, you they're just, kids, right? Yeah. I mean, that, this list of the historical, I don't want to call them statistics, but the, the history of the wall, when you start mm-hmm. to learn about it, is really, really impressive. But those were the two that stood out for me the most, were those two age groups. Yeah. So, There's so many interesting things about it, and the long, more time I spend there, the more I learn about it. One of my, um, I don't know if favorite is the right, right word, but one of the things that I think about a lot when I'm standing at the wall is that a name is a name, a life is a life. There's no rank, there's no religion, there's no rank uh, branch of service. A life is a life. Oh, absolutely. Boy, you couldn't say it better. And and of course, tell us a little bit about the the World War II veteran who was from Port Washington, who actually gave uh, that that incredible little saying to uh, the honor flight out of Milwaukee. Oh, Joe Demler. Yeah, what a wonderful guy. So yeah, he's a World War II vet that uh, came on the honor flight. He was a POW in Germany. And uh, when he was saved, he by the, when the Americans came, he weighed, I think they say 70 or 75 pounds. He was close to death, you know, the doctor told him. And uh, he told that doctor that he learned two things in a Nazi prison camp. He learned how to pray and he learned that every day is a bonus. And so Stars and Stripes Honor Flight has adopted that saying that we wear it on the back of our hats and our jackets and our polos. And uh, it's a good reminder every single day, every day is a bonus. And that man lived every day as a bonus every day of his life until he died just fairly recently. Yeah, in his 90s, I believe. Yes. Uh, I think 94, 95 years old. What a great guy. Touched so many lives. And and we all still think about him, you know, every flight you're walking around and you see other people with the, on the back of their shirts, every day is a bonus. Yeah. Right. One of the other things that I'm reminded of, and I'm hoping that this is correct, but by being an interpreter at the wall, your service in the military gives you that trust and that confidence right away to tie to, to connect with the soldiers who come there. You know, I find that I found that on the honor flight as well. I've flown out as a bus captain. I've flown out as a guardian. I took my dad and I took a friend of his. And when you're a bus captain, you're kind of the tour guide for the day. You're, you're assigned to an amount, amount of veterans and their guardians. And, you know, on their microphone explaining what's going to happen. And I always give them a little background, tell them about my dad and my brothers and I serving. And you're right, there's like an instant connection there. Like you speak the language, you know, and so I find that definitely on the honor flight. And I've also found it at the wall when it does come up with the veterans that come. I think it goes back and maybe that's why I mentioned it at the beginning, Jennifer. It goes back to that whole time of trust, of understanding the military culture, not just the language, not just the humor, 
but the culture that comes after going through the training and you sign oath of oh. service. Yeah, that, it, it's at that point that we we all become soldiers, and then we're 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 part of the deal, no matter what our MOS is, no matter where we go, no matter what we do. You're, you're connected, right? Yeah, we're connected. Mm-hmm. So now let, let's go back. I'm just kind of curious about this. I have four brothers and I have five sisters, uh, and we like to razz each other, give us a hard time. You were in the service. Your dad was a Marine. Your your brothers were in the service. Your husband was in the service. You guys, uh, how do you fit by, by <laughs> being the only woman? That's a really in- <laughs> great question. So uh, like I said, my dad's a Marine. I've been hearing about the, the yellow footprints that he was taught to stand on the position of attention as long as I can remember. Uh, he likes to tell us the Marines is, the best for all these different reasons you know so I grew up hearing that and then I joined the army and so he likes to give me some you know razz about that and then I came home from basic training and my older brother uh, who was already graduated from college and was working a few jobs and um, not finding a lot of success in his career I put in I put my VHS tape of my basic training days in the VCR and we all watched it together and he was looking at that screen and watching us, you know, with the bayonets and marching and drill and ceremony. And uh, I think it wasn't a week later that he enlisted. <laughs> and and uh, so he was older than me. He was 24 or, I don't know, 22 or 24 when he left um, for basic training. He ended up serving 20 years and retiring from the Army. So he's my, he's my other Army buddy in the family because then my little brother, who from the time he could talk said he was going to be a Marine and he turned 17 and graduated from high school and off he left before he even turned 18. Wow. Uh, he served five years in the Marine Corps and my husband was a Marine reservist. So um, they're definitely outnumber us, but my brother and I have more years in service. Well, and you can always, you can always uh, rib them and say, yeah, but you don't need the Navy to take you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, believe me, we go, we go through the whole gamut. <laughs> wow. Well, this is wonderful. Now, some of the other things that we had spoken about, and I think this is really, really true, and you mentioned this, and you say that uh, when you look back on your military career, the things that you have learned have served you so well. So would that include your confidence in uh, teaching uh, students from difficult backgrounds, you know, your teaching career? How did the military help you with that? How does that help you? And again, we've talked about this word called resilience. You know, this thing just in regular life, civilian life, we come up against challenges that aren't necessarily military, but we come up against challenges in civilian life that can be very difficult. And, and it has your your experience in the military helped you with that resilience or that toughness or that decision making in, in regular life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you finish basic training in AIT, as you know, you get this feeling like I can do anything. Just bring it. You know, there's no challenge you can't overcome, right? Yeah. I mean, and then, like I said, being in a unit with all men, I, I always felt like a little bit that I had something to prove. And that wasn't coming from them. That was coming from inside me. Yeah. You know, I wanted to make sure they knew they could count on me as well as they could count on each other. And so I definitely used that uh, in my teaching. It, sure. And you've also mentioned, and I think this is really, really true, when there's something about resilience that, that I, I also, I think I have from the military. My dad served in World War II and landed on D-Day, and my older brother was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, and I remember him coming home and polishing his jump boots all the time and everything. It was all the way, sir, all the way, sir, and all of that. And just, a, you know, a, a real tough rugby player, iron worker, all that sort of thing. But you get that something inside of you that doesn't allow you to quit, that doesn't allow you to, to give in. And you mentioned this before. Now your children have grown and you're empty nesters with your husband. 
And there are times when you can feel down. And how is it that you, this, this allows you to pick up and, and say, no, okay, I feel sorry for myself, but that's going to stop right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And I have found that, especially it seemed like during COVID, you know, everyone went through some stuff the, the last couple of years. And um, when I found myself feeling kind of blue or letting myself get down, I would just make a decision that the best way to make me feel better was to make somebody else feel better. And so I would maybe seek out somebody that I knew was lonely or, or seek out someone that I knew could use a friend or could use a favor and help them out. And it's just incredible what helping other people does for your own spirit and your own soul. Right. Wow. I, I, I would like you to expand on that, but you said it so beautifully. That, but that, that really is true because sometimes when we get out of the military and we come home, we, we get isolated, uh, emotionally isolated, because we've had an experience that nobody else has had, and it's hard for us to share that. And especially if we're the only person in the family who has the military background or, or culture, um, we don't know how to share those stories. We don't know. So we, we become more internalized and, and a little bit more, uh, I would say, emotionally numb to interactions with other people outside of the military. So it's very, very helpful, I think, that we use, if we can or when we can, use our military experience not to separate ourselves by the military and civilian culture, but really to, to get over that gap and participate as best we can by using our service as, as leaders, as you do with, uh, with the honor flight. Uh, I know you've come up against something that uh, I experienced, and I'll share this because I think it's so important. I was not going to go on the honor flight originally, and we were supposed to go on one of the first ones in 2018, and I thought, I was one of those people who thought, well, you know, I could afford to go there on my own. I don't want to go there, and, you know, I don't really deserve it, that sort of thing, even though I was an infantry soldier. And I'll never forget my sister Mary coming up to me and when I told them that I wasn't going to go. And she said, Mike, your family needs to heal too. And I, after 40-plus years, had never thought about my family healing too. It had always been about me. I was a veteran. I went to war. I did this. I, I, I. And so the, the, the honor flight turned out to be this really wonderful way, even if I didn't want to go, that something I could do for my family, whether, and it doesn't, again, doesn't matter what the MOS is, you know, what you, what you actually did in a service, because anything we did in a service is better or, or, or an experience that most civilians have never had, but it takes our family and lets them become part of our life and understand us a little bit better. And it's such a thrill for all of us. But it's something that I promote for the Honor Flight now. If you don't want to go, go for your family and let them share in this whole thing. But, it, again, it's that whole getting out of yourself and doing something for other people that you're doing so beautifully. Well, thank you for saying that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I tell guys that don't want to go, you know, let us do this for you. Let us right this wrong that was done to you so many years ago that none of us had anything to do with. But you're going to make difference for us as well because we feel like we're helping heal that for you it took me a long time to convince my dad to go um and he thanked me no less than 70 times that day and said <laughs> i'm so glad you talked me into this i'm so glad you talked me into this so now uh jennifer earlier i mentioned how my sister or family member had told me that i had to understand or should realize that my family needed to heal as well now you have a sister who was very supportive of you while you were in the military i think she uh, did some of your book work and kept letters coming to you and uh, share that with us, please. I do. My uh, little sister is about six and a half years younger than I am. So she was still in high school when I left for basic training and she wrote me lots of letters, filled me in on what was going on at home. 
uh, forwarded my mail to me when my boyfriend was writing to me from you know his boot camp in California. She'd make sure those letters got to me, and uh, she took care of paying my bills and and keeping up with my rent and all those kinds of things for me. She was a really great help and little support, little sister back home, wow. taking care of things for me. I always have to be grateful for our families and what they go through in supporting us. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I have to ask us, we didn't really talk about this, but I don't, I don't want to be surprised. Your kids, how, uh, your children, how do they think about mom being a, a veteran? You know, I think they're um, getting more and more proud of it as time goes on and they're getting to be young adults and, and um, seeing what that commitment is and seeing their friends go into service. Uh, they're all young adults. Like I said, they're 21, 19 and 18 years old right now. And I was recently involved with the I Am Not Invisible project where the secretary of the VA came around and uh, took photos of female veterans and they've been on display and they're traveling around. And I took my kids to the War Memorial Center uh, the day after Thanksgiving last year to see the banners. And uh, I really got a good sense of how proud they were of that and of me when we were standing there looking at those banners and the group of women that I'm associated with. And as I was introducing them, you know, to some of the women and talking about the different banners. Oh, this is wonderful, but I have to go back and tell us more about the uh, I'm Not Invisible project because you say, well, they came around and took pictures of women and put something. That needs so, a little no, bit of an so explanation uh, that they weren't just yeah, taking women pictures. veterans, women veterans. And um, every state, the, the photographer went around to every state and took pictures of women veterans. And um, it's to bring awareness. It's called I'm Not Invisible because uh, female veterans often are overlooked. You know, we may not wear a hat or a shirt or a button, you know, saying what unit we belong to or what branch we served in. But, um, and so a lot of times people kind of forget that women can be veterans as well. And we've definitely been contributing for, you know, a hundred years to the military service in a variety of ways. And so this project is to bring awareness to that. And so uh, they created some banners with photos of us with our bio underneath it. And the War Memorial Center uh, raised some funds to get those banners made. And they've been traveling around the state of Wisconsin to bring awareness to female veterans. Well, one of the things that I noticed, Jennifer, was what it did for the women veterans getting together and meeting each other. All of a sudden, they have that <laughs> the night that the women veterans are going to go out and have a glass of wine together or uh, all yeah. of these other how exciting for all of you as female veterans, women veterans to get together and, and just have this camaraderie from that experience in the military. Wow, that was terrific. Uh, it's an incredible group of women. Uh, there's 31 of us in this particular project in Southeast Wisconsin, and we span uh, every branch of service, every component, reserve, active duty, and National Guard, and every conflict from World War II to serving presently. And it was just a treat to get to meet these women and learn about their different times in service. Some served as little as two or three years, some served 35 years and everything in between. And just an amazing group of people. Yeah, and to come out and actually be proud of this and, 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 and get your turn to to show off uh, the experience, I, I think is wonderful. I, I know quite a few of the women there, you know, obviously Ruby Shoeing and uh, Aaron Schroffnagel and some of the other women, and, and they've enjoyed this too. I mean, it's, it's all of a sudden there's a... a, a little bit of a shine in their eyes and an honor and you know patriotism that comes to light in them yep sure this has been an absolutely wonderful i'm so glad that you were able to come on and share this but but just take a minute a a closing minute and tell us about the value of being a soldier of being a female soldier what it means and what you would share with other women of how to use this uh, to be resilient and and to, to go off in the world and use that talent and not be afraid to use 
Wow. Uh, well, like I said, when I got out of basic training in IIT, not only had I formed some bonds that um, actually have, have lasted a lifetime, but also just this feeling of, I can do anything, you know? I mean, you can't throw something at me that I won't take head on. It reminds me of that story. I think I told you this. Uh, I overheard one of my students talking to a fellow student, and one of them was saying, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the other one said, oh, well, I want to be this and that. And the first girl said, well, you can't be two things. And she said, uh, Miss Bachman is a teacher and a soldier. If she can do two things, I can do two things too. <laughs> so, you know, just coming out of that and feeling like someone is looking up to you and, and somebody is um, modeling herself that, you know, she can do something if you can do it. That's, you can't replace that feeling. Yeah. Oh, that really is wonderful. Uh, and, and I'm so glad that you have the opportunity to share that because I think the women, especially the women that you know and who have been in the, uh, we are not, uh, invisible uh, are, are able to share that as well bring out that that thing that we learned and I, I remember being in Vietnam and you know the nurses were just nurses but when you stop think and think back on it after you come home the lives they saved the things they did uh, the importance they're they're really and of course with me coming from a, a family of five boys and five girls uh, and my mother a tough German there was no difference between men's jobs and and women's jobs we all took out the garbage we all cleaned the yard we all did laundry we, we you know, and I, I think when you get that in the military, that's a very, very positive and powerful sense to have about yourself because you do use it in the real world. Yeah. And nobody can ever take that away from you. That's been earned. And, and you know, it's part of who you are. It's part of who I am. Okay. So now let me ask you this question before we close. I, I can call all of my, my male veterans my brothers. What do we call you? What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, being in a male-dominated environment for a lot of my life, I'll answer to brother. But I do really appreciate it. I do appreciate it when people think to say brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. So I can now yeah. call you my sister, Jennifer. I think that's fair. Well, listen, anything else you'd like to share with us before we close? I can't think of anything else. Maybe, maybe say, say uh, thanks, Dad. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was definitely my inspiration. That, uh, <laughs> you told me that. Absolutely. So thanks, well, Dad. You know, one of the things that we do learn, it's very, very true when they say, once a Marine, always a Marine. <laughs> they don't. Isn't that it. the truth? Yes. All right. Well, Jennifer, if somebody wanted to go on the honor flight, where would they go to look that up, at least in Milwaukee? How, how would they get in touch with that resource? Great question. Starsandstripeshonorflight.org. And, and there's a veteran application. You can either fill it out online or you can print it and fill it and fill it out and mail it in because there are some vets who don't use the Internet. Yeah. And, 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 and again, very strong encouragement for anybody who's thought that they don't deserve to go on the, on the honor flight, shouldn't go on the honor flight. They, uh, they can afford to go on their own. This is a completely different experience. And if you, want to, if you want to give your family a treat, even if you don't think you deserve it yourself, do this for your family. It, it, it is an extraordinary experience. Uh, and you'll probably totally end up agree. volunteering yourself after you get out because it's such yeah. a good we get a lot of that. A lot of people, once they go once, they, they you know, come back every flight. They want to help out the best they can. All right. Well, Jennifer, yeah, we've had veterans tell us oh. that uh, next to their day they got married and the births of their children, this is the best day of their life. Wow. So and that, I'm not talking about one or two guys. I'm talking about many, many guys have, have come back and told us that. Say that one more time. The, the, after the day they got married and the days their children were born, it's the best day of their life. Day. Wow. So. What a compliment. What a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful experience. 
Okay, Sister Jennifer Pankowski, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your service. Uh, thank oh, you, thank you, you Mike. and thank you for being active, really, in in the in the mental health and spiritual health of all of our veterans and the, the veteran community. All you're doing with your volunteering, very outstanding. You know, I find I'm more at home with veterans than any other group of people. So yeah. it's an honor and a privilege. Yeah, I, I, well, I'll, I'll add this because we've talked about this before. I've always said if I were to meet somebody from the American Civil War. A soldier, I would immediately have more in common with that person than I do most people in the world, simply That's because brilliant. of that experience in the, in the military culture. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love my civilian friends. I really do. And I, I love the respect they give me for my time and service. But I'm reminded of um, basic training when must have been advanced training. We didn't get weekend passes in basic. But, you know, you're in your advanced phase of training. We go out on the weekends. And the biggest insult we would give each other is you're acting like a civilian. <laughs> We better stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I love my civilian friends. I'm I do happy too. to be I'm a civilian. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but, but, well, one of the other things about the military is the experience you have is extremely, extremely intimate. And I don't mean physically intimate, but emotionally. I mean, this is something that goes way down into your soul because – when we sign that oath of office, we're all signing this whole thing that they can come to any one of us at any time and put us on the front lines. So we are there ready to give our lives at any time. We're part of this thing that includes the, uh, the honor of giving our lives. If you want, Absolutely. To it doesn't matter when you serve or how you serve, right? You wrote that blank check yeah, to, for the amount up to and including my life. That's it. Right. We're all part of that brotherhood and sisterhood. And that's, and that's the thing that you know that nobody else can really, can really Absolutely. associate with. So. Yeah. Absolutely right. Okay. So for co-host Bob Bach, I am Mike Orban, and we are veterans, and we hope that you will join us in our next uh, educational episode of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. So if you are a veteran and you are struggling with any issues of depression, suicidal thinking, uh, please don't hesitate to call the Veterans Crisis Line, and that number is 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1-1. Or for live chat, you can text to 838-255. And don't hesitate. These are veterans. These are people who are there for your concern. They're live voices. They'll take care of you. But for all of us, don't, don't live by the stigma of having served. Live by the education that you can resolve whatever issues that you're, you're going through. And there are many of us out who are out there to, uh, to help you with that readjustment. And also go to our website, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and there's a resource page there, whether it's uh, substance abuse, suicidal issues, whatever it might be. Uh, take the first step, and if you have to take that step for the health care of your family, take it for your family if you're not going to do it for yourself. So, again, join us next time at Stigma-Free Vet Zone, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.